0: where I see the future of wellness and sustainability is about kind of leapfrogging the industrial revolution.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm Morgan, co-founder of Primal Kitchen and host of the Primal Kitchen podcast. Today, I'm chatting with celebrity chef, activist, and founder of zero waste sustainable kitchen provisions brand, Westbourne, Camilla Marcus, who has dedicated her life to being as environmentally friendly as possible inside and outside the kitchen. Camilla founded a zero-waste restaurant in New York City, turned LA-based Kitchen Provisions brand. She's also helped countless celebrity clients implement ingenious hacks to reduce food waste and cook more sustainably. Today, she's going to share some of the little things that everyone can do in their own life to live a greener, cleaner, and more socially responsible life. Before we get started, a brief reminder that any and all opinions and views shared by hosts and guests on this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the view of Primal Kitchen or its affiliates or parent company. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Camilla, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm so good. We're so happy to have you here. I love a fellow avocado oil enthusiast and uh, a thought leader in the regenerative space. So these are like two of my favorite things, as you can imagine. Um, So fill me in. How did you get started down this path?
0: I think all roots really all roads really lead to my roots. Uh growing up in Los Angeles, California, actually Mrs. Gooch was my neighbor growing up and she was sort of the whole foods predecessor when, you know, no one was talking about natural grocery and you know I grew up in this microcosm of really understanding that planetary and personal health is really one and the same and really I think as I went through, you know, adolescence and early adulthood and started working in food um really seeing how there's such a disconnect, right? And, and you go down the grocery store aisles and it doesn't really look the way that it should, but that was really the universe that I grew up in where sustainability and food were intertwined. And really the choices behind what we eat and drink every day can have a tremendous amount of intention and a lot of impact as well.
1: I love it. And so was your family like super hipped out? Were you like eating, you know, you know, it's funny though I didn't think of it
0: that way. But then I went to college in Philadelphia, and that was a stark contrast to sort of how I ate. But I would say, you know, I always teased friends growing up, like I had the untradeable lunch. Like you did not want anything that came in my lunchbox. Um, now I look back and I'm very grateful and I'm definitely that same kind of mom. Um, but you know, we didn't really talk about it. It wasn't about meatless Mondays, and we didn't talk about things being from the, you know, local farmers. It just sort of ha- was how my mom cooked because she really believed my mom's dad was a doctor. And my dad's career has been in life science. And I think for my mom, she really saw the power of food to drive, you know, health and health in the communities. She was like really ahead of her
1: time. I mean,
0: but her dad was a cardiologist. My grandfather discovered this that allows you to open heart surgery. So my mom really grew up, I think, at the center of understanding that importance in a way that you know, it's just, I think, pretty unique.
1: Wait, the serum that allows you to do... You got to tell me a little bit more about this. That's There's too many questions.
0: And funny enough, he was actually a really big foodie. My mom always... He passed a long time ago before I was born, but my mom always tells me he would uh, you know, go out to eat and he would come home and recreate these, you know, gourmet meals and and experiences for my mom and her siblings. Um, and just really found, again, I think a deep passion for food and how it brings us together, but his whole career was dedicated to cardiology research. Um, and he was recruited from New York by way of Missouri, um, to work for the city of hope and to, to work on this research. That was the, right. When you do open heart surgery, you have a serum that allows you to open someone up. And that was uh, his invention.
1: That's so cool. I love it. Um, and being a cardiologist, I just have to ask, like, what's the diet philosophy for you? I guess we could just
0: ask. Oh, well, I am not a cardiologist, uh, nor was so I from raised from the
1: family, from the family of cardiologists and just the whole thing. Like I think how I cook,
0: Channel is very much how I cook at home and how I feel about my children. I believe in balance. I believe in, you know, focusing on sourcing, obviously a very plant-based, um, you know, driven diet, but also I think having a positive relationship with food and really connecting to the food system. I mean, my kids know the farmer's market and who grows their food. We go to farms often and they taste the difference, they see the difference. And I think for us too, it's about whole ingredients. Um really honoring kind of nature as nature intended um and again, just really a balance and exposure, and also to different cuisine types, different spices, different techniques, different perspectives I mean, you know, I think also not just I mean, I love California cuisine, and that's certainly the core of how I cook, but my dad lived in Japan a large Portion of my childhood. And that's a big influence on how I cook. My husband and I um, lived in Rome for a while. And so I think again, sort of, I know it sounds funny, but almost looking to other cultures, because I do think there's less process, less package, less pre made. I think maybe that's really our core passion is just as a family, we do a lot of scratch cooking. And as close friends know, um, you know, my son's three years old and he can make his own pancakes from scratch, he knows how to use the stovetop. He knows what he's doing and, you know, he understands right where the flowers are coming from, why we use what we use. He, and we talk a lot about just nutrition to fuel our day, to fuel our minds. And I think that's really, you know, the passion I bring to the food in my family and as well as Westbourne.
1: Um, Three years old and knows how to make his own pancakes. Like what else is, how, how do you, what else is going on over there with the kids at home? Do you have one? How many do you have?
0: I have three under three. So three, two, one. Oh.
1: I have three out yeah. of four, so I feel your pain. Uh, what do you have, boys <laughs> or girls?
0: Boy, girl, boy. Um, and look, I think for us, it's a lot about you know independence. And Janet Lansbury is honestly my favorite human and parent guru. Um, and I think really that approach of letting them learn, really instilling a passion for learning, and again with food. I mean, my kids spend a lot of time on farms. They always have since they were young you know, we take them to go buy their food. They make, you know, they're part of making their own meals. I wish more schools did that. Um, It's unfortunately very uncommon, I think, to have children part of their own care. But I think for us, that's always been a centerpiece. And look, I cook professionally. So my son is also, when I'm cooking for an event, or I'm working at something, sometimes he comes and attends, sometimes he's helping with prep, um you know I think he really sees uh that that's my passion and I'm sure that that's also
1: contagious in some way totally and the other two are they twins no twins no they're all Irish twins yeah okay yeah you're like I I wanted twins
0: so badly every time we got pregnant we'd say to the doctor twins he's like why do you guys want twins so badly it's so weird um I wish I think it's so magical
1: yeah, it's fun. That's cool. I can't believe you have three under three and you don't have twins. So that's crazy. Um.
0: <laughs> a couple years. I years. love it. They're like a little, you know, they're a little village.
1: Yeah, it's fun. So you started cooking first. Like, give me the lowdowns. So you start cooking first. There's a restaurant. There's a brand. Like, how did this all come together for you? Yeah,
0: I, uh, I came to college, um, did undergraduate business, applied actually with a portfolio. I was an artist growing up always loved to cook. Ironically, my mom's dad was a foodie, but you know, my family, I I wouldn't say cooking was like a core passion. I have a lot of friends where that's sort of like the family gel is that they love to cook together. Uh, My mom is a great cook, but you know, it wasn't really, I would say like a core family activity, but I always loved it. I always loved eating out. I loved the restaurant experience. And so after graduation in 2007, I told my parents, I'm going to culinary school. I went to the French Culinary Institute in New York, and I I just fell in love with it. We had 30 countries represented in my class. You know, every teacher was from a different place. And it was just, that's definitely my love language. It's very much how I express how I feel. And I think for me, it was a perfect mix of math, science, and art, which were sort of all of my core focuses growing up. Um, and then I ended up detouring, uh, you know, 2008 hit the, the world fell apart, uh, somewhat how we feel today, I think a little bit less stark, but you know, most of my friends ended up unemployed, a lot moved, you know, out of the country trying to figure it out for a while. And I went to get a JD MBA and then worked in investing for a while, focusing exclusively on hospitality, mostly hotels and restaurants, and then became head of business development for Danny Meyer and union square hospitality group at a, Pretty pivotal time while Shake Shack was going public um, and then opened the first zero waste certified restaurant in Manhattan um, called Westbourne. And the idea was really that to be our laboratory and to be sort of the first physical expression of what we wanted to do, which was to build products for people's homes that could show that you can have a positive impact and be part of the solution for climate change, you know. Food and agriculture is the only system that can pull down carbon in time, and therefore, for me, that was really where all of our focus should be, should be, and where we should be investing and innovating. And we felt that there was a pretty big opening for you know a household brand, a household name that was helping you know this next generation be part of what they care so much about, um, and through your daily choices of what you eat and drink, to be able to combat climate change and at the same time really have food that's nourishing, that's sourced well. All of our snacks are in home compostable packaging. You know, everything from seed to shelf is really um, carbon neutral and, you know, nutrition forward. I love it. And and the soil.
1: And the soil. And what does zero waste mean, like in a restaurant?
0: So we worked with the organization True. They do LEED certification for buildings. And we were actually the first restaurant to pilot. So they assess everything from... HR to accounting, to the plates you use, to the food, how you source it, how things get in and out the door. I mean, it is a probably six-month process to assess every single element of your operation. And right, it's a point system. So it's much like kind of thing. I mean, lead is the same way. But, you know, you get, I mean, frankly, it's like the Department of Health, right? You get some points for some things. You get some points for other things. Um, and then zero waste means that as an entire organization, um, at least ninety percent has to be diverted away from landfill.
1: So what are what kind of things are you guys doing different in the restaurant? Like what are the big things or what well, are the, little the restaurant things? Restaurant
0: closed during COVID, which is when I started okay. to get really active in restaurant relief. Um before then and to this day, I'm very I'm very active in restaurant relief and support, but also very focused on childcare uh, for our industry. But as an organization now, you know, really it's again from seed all the way to shelf, it's rethinking how food is brought, you know, from a farm into your home. And every single step of the way, looking at new innovations in material science, looking at how do we help a regenerative farm who's really focused on right produce on a shelf in a grocery store. But if you're really invested in regenerative farming, the whole goal is biodiversity. We need to also be thinking about products that are using. The rest of the land that's using the rest of the
1: farm's efforts, and that's where our products come in. Very cool. So tell us about West and the products.
0: Yeah, so we have avocado oil, a cooking and a finishing oil, um, all pure. It's super high quality. And again, you know, I look at the shelves and I see, I see a lot of different variety. Not really as much an avocado to oil now. I'm sure that will change over the next couple of years. But you know, I thought about a lot about over the past. I don't know, five, 10 years. And you know, I grew up, my mom used Wesson vegetable oil. Our parents used canola oil, You know, things that this generation is never gonna touch. Even butter, You know, it's very clear that the dairy industry is wreaking havoc on the environment. And I think Gen Z in particular is very pointedly aware of that. I was actually just at the Google food lab and someone said to me, I won't even date someone who drinks dairy milk. Like if a guy ordered dairy milk at a meal, I would not take a second date. So even thinking about baking, right, to me, avocado oil, it's the perfect food, it's super nutritious. And, you know, you really think about baking, it's flavor neutral, it's super rich. And to me, it can be kind of a one for one for butter. That was a lot of my passion around that as well. And then we have a whole line of snacks. You know, I don't know if you read that, uh, super interesting that New York Times, what we know is true, but they measured it. They're saying that every person in America is eating about a credit card worth of plastic a
1: week. I have seen that. I was telling Mark about this. I was like, Mark, this is disgusting. Like, I have a big problem with plastic. Our
0: entire company has been plastic-free from the start, even down to the table bands. Everything... I don't
1: buy plastic bags. It, like, drives my husband insane. And I, when I go to the grocery store, like, the produce just goes in the cart. Like, these little plastic bags to hold something, it's just, like, mind-blowing to me. But, yeah, this
0: plastic thing. And there is an incredible amount of material science, science innovation. What was available, I mean... When we started the restaurant years ago, you couldn't get a compostable hot cup. I mean, I researched everything. It did not exist. You could not find it. Now there's a lot of options and it's not such a big deal and it's the same with those plastic bags. I mean, I use compostable bags for my dogs. We compost in yeah. our home. You know, I just I don't think the hurdles are quite what they were even 3 to 5 years ago totally so again we believe i think as a company we take you ask how we do things differently i just think we're very holistic so to me if in the bag it's about regeneratively sourced ingredients really high nutrient density transparent formulation we've had no refined sugar from the start if that's in a plastic bag, then what are we saying to someone, right? Mm-hmm. So to me, it's also the vessel has to also mirror what's inside. Just like taking care of the environment also has to take care of your own body. Both are what sustainability means to us.
1: Yeah. Um, okay. So there's this part of your career, the cele- the you're like private chef, celebrity chef. Is that the right terminology? I don't know. <laughs> okay. But are you still doing any of that kind of work, or not so much anymore?
0: Yeah. So. Look, our goal is to increase our impact as much as possible. The the bigger we grow, the higher the impact. And we like to change people's minds about sort of how they think about entertaining, bringing people together, what's on their plate. And so we do full scale production or just cooking. Um, We do it really regularly. We've worked with all sorts of brands like Nike and Allbirds. Tanya Taylor's been a big supporter from the start. Um, So yeah, we do quite a bit of uh, event activations, which is interesting, right? Because in products, product marketing, usually you're paying a lot to have activations to have experiential marketing. And for us, it's really the opposite. We get the opportunity to create an experience for other brands in partnership, really expand our community and help people think, right? To have an entirely plant-based vegan meal, we did the Nike fiftieth anniversary. It was honoring the legacy of female athletes in the the company's history, and it was an entirely vegan meal. You know, and for people to be able to enjoy the same dishes to share one experience that is, you know, incredibly mindful and thoughtful, um, we see really have ripple effects.
1: I love it. So you're doing mostly corporate stuff then. I take it.
0: Yeah, I've never, I mean, I've never done sort of private chefing in that way, yeah. really more, right? We used to partner with people through the restaurant and then we started getting asked to do things site. And, you know, I think for us, it's more about creating experiences and again, yeah. expanding our ethos through other people's communities.
1: I love it. So tell me, like, if I'm listening and I'm at home and I want to make a difference, like, what do you think some of the quick things people can do or easiest things people yeah. can do to like take a step in the right direction? Well,
0: First things first, subscribe to our newsletter. If you go to our website, com, we also have a lot of easy recipes, zero waste tips, you know, even like a 101 on regenerative farming, a 101 on composting. You know, a lot of people feel our goal is to help people see it's just about the first step, make one decision in the right direction. Like you said, commit to no plastic bags or Commit to using reusable, you know, dish towels, or switch to a natural soap in your home. You know, very small things. Grow something in your home. That's a big step. I always say to people, grow something, even if it's an herb. I think spending time with how our food gets to our homes sort of changes how you approach things. Um, and similarly, you know, I always say to people, okay, you're not ready to compost. Get a bin or a chic pot, whatever fits your aesthetic, get something small, or however big can fit on your countertop, track your food scrubs, just start there, you will cook totally differently when you start to see it fill up. And when you realize and have to face how much you're actually giving up in a given week, I think that people will look at it totally differently. And then you know, our website is filled with recipes that help you look at a vegetable, use the whole thing, repurpose scraps, think about how to give them a second life. Um, I really think that that gives a tremendous impact.
1: Are there any like vegetable tips you have for me on like using the whole vegetable? Yeah. I mean, a
0: great one, fennel's really fresh and in season. Um, Actually, right before this, one of the reasons I was a little late is I was prepping a, a recipe you know, how to use an entire fennel. A lot of people don't use the fronds. You know, people just use the bulb or they're using just a certain piece. You know, shaving a salad, roasting the stems, reincorporating that, using the fronds as herbs. You can even save, you know, save the herbs, use the stems for a pesto, things like that. Same with carrots, right? People... I just did a carrot cake. My mom loves carrot cake and it's like a family, I don't know. It's one of our family core, I guess, family core recipes. It's a big deal for our birthdays. And, you know, my mom always um, taught us really like use the whole carrot. You don't actually have to shave it. Even things like that. Save the stems again grind it into a pesto, put it in a pasta, you know, blend it for, you know, your juicer smoothie in the morning. Like there's a lot of different ways to use those products or freeze it, put it in your next stock, you know, when you're making stock for your family. I think there's a lot of, a lot of very easy tips and tricks that really cut a lot of that down.
1: And how has your like cooking changed since you've had kids and like, how do you manage that? What are some go-to weeknight meals for us?
0: Oh, I'm so, that is, I'm totally the wrong person to ask that to because I really am a riffer when it comes to cooking. I always say it's like playing jazz in the kitchen. I'm not great with recipes. I very much use what's on hand. I think for my kids, a lot of what I focus on is variety. I really want them to learn what a new vegetable is. I want them to try new sauces. I want them to think about different spices and we talk about it. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think my tip at home would be, really think about variety and shop locally as much as you can and have your kids be part of it.
1: You mentioned variety. It's interesting. We had like a garden. We lived in Florida for a year and we had this like epic garden. I had someone I met at the farmer's market who came and like did the whole home vegetable garden thing for me. But I'm going to do a shameless plug here for this company called Infinite Cedar. I just bought uh, online. I don't know anything about this company except they like have really good. Are you looking it up right now? It's like a, you can order it just sends you the full kit to make like an above ground vegetable garden. And, um, I just came, it's like beautiful. My husband and the kids built it together. Like they planted everything. They were like so into it. And I don't know for us, we're big. Um, we, we, my kids eat like sauteed spinach every morning. I'm not like, I'm not there. It's hard to get them to eat dinner right now, but breakfast, I feel like they're just better at eating healthier. And, um, we grow rainbow shard in the garden and they like are obsessed with sauteed rainbow shard because they can go pick it out in the garden themselves. So I totally agree. I That's think when I you think can, like,
0: people grow something, even something. if it's an herb, you know, and your kids can make a sauce, they can chop it, they can sprinkle it. I mean, I've given my son a knife at age two. Like I let them do it up and same. I mean, we, For the, I think he had an artichoke for the first time this week. We, you know, pulled it from our garden. We made it together, and he could really see. You know, we talked about it: why it grows, where it grows, what's good about it. What's, but I think again, talking really about the nutrition, right? Like, why is that vegetable so interesting? What makes it special? How does it grow? What season? Um, Yeah, we're very big on that as well. And again, even if you can't, you don't have space for a garden. There's a million community gardens that you can go take your kids to, you know, farmer's markets are free to just walk around, I mean, and really talk about the produce and what goes into it and why each one is special. Um, it's really amazing how much kids really enjoy that.
1: Yeah, I love it. So are, you're in LA, right? You were in New York and you're in LA now? Yep.
0: I'm born and raised love here. I was uh, on the East Coast for 20 years, New York for 15
1: I love it. so who what are you most excited about in health and wellness these days?
0: I mean, I am really excited to see the regenerative movement starting to awaken in, you know, sort of your everyday consumer. I think people do understand what the word is and means. I think it's sort of where organic was, I don't know, maybe five to ten years ago. And I think that's really exciting because five years ago that really wasn't the case. Um And I do think it's exciting to see again, especially a younger community really caring about transparency. You know, I always share this, um, you know, I guess insight's the right word, but something that I observed over and over is when we see, you know, user-generated content with the company and, you know, we'll gift someone or they bought it and they're filming it, the first thing they do is turn the package over and they read the ingredients on Instagram, on TikTok, you know, whatever social media channel they're sharing with. Like, that did not happen in a prior generation and it is amazing to see the focus and the energy being poured into every little detail like they're actually reading the label to me that's kind of mind blowing and really exciting and i think it puts a really great microscope like i said on what's in the grocery store and what you're bringing home what you're feeding yourselves what you're feeding your families and I'm excited about that. I think transparency and going back to nature and simplicity is really sort of what I hope for the future.
1: Yeah, I'm with you on that. There was this like underground, not underground, but like not very popular movement, JERF. Do you remember this? Like just eat real food. It was kind of like, there was a time when like the paleo people and the vegan people were like totally at war. And I just remember thinking like, we have really overcomplicated this thing. You know, like we're arguing about an ingredient here or there. And like, when it boils down to it, like if we could all just agree that like, if we all ate like 80% real food, like we'd be, you know, most of the way there. Like, so I'm with you on that one. I
0: think what's interesting is right. A lot of where I think the focus on innovation in the last, you know, five years for me feels a little bit like we're trading, you know, one industrial revolution for another, one kind of packaged food for another. And I do agree with that. I think, you know, we always say at our company, we're so progressive that we're going back in time. Our goal and sort of where I see the future of wellness and sustainability is about kind of leapfrogging the industrial revolution and going back to before we had processed food that had, you know, an eight-year shelf life, really, you know, thinking about that more Cautiously and, you know, with much more, again, intuition and intention, right? I think having food that is grown nutritiously and then that's cooked mindfully. And to me, that's really sort of where you're going to find the sweet spot.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I have like a real hard time. Maybe you do too. It sounds like you might be on the same page as me. This whole like beyond meat, like franken food, vegetable things, I'm just like really like what's wrong with just a veggie burger, like what made of actual vegetables instead of like 90 ingredients, no. overly processed seed oils mixed with hydrogenated soy protein. I just like, I I can't, I cannot get down with how this could be better for well, Again,
0: I think again, Westbourne's core philosophy is that planetary and personal health are one and the same thing. And when they live in harmony is when you get a much better solution. It's not sustainable in my mind to have something that is not replenishing the soil, is not nutrient dense, and is not bettering your health either. Um, and look, we always say, you know, we think the long term solution lives with the land, not in a lab. And a lot of that is because it's been proven. You know, you look at our history in America, anything that's really been overly manufactured or man made always has unintended consequences where, you know, We're an amazing species, but we also do things in a particular way. And so I think, again, for us, it's about going back in time to the way nature intended. And again, I think a lot of that is really the food philosophy I was just raised with inherently since I was a kid.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like common sense food philosophy. I I love it. I'm with you. Um, You mentioned like a little bit about uh, about the activism work you're doing. So tell me more about that.
0: Yeah, so... Look, I think, again, I was raised with parents who really cared a lot about their community. And my mom emphasized tremendously, right? You know, you help your neighbors and you think about how you can give back to someone else no matter what. And a lot of that was before with the restaurant. Um, So we had a big partnership with the Robin Hood Foundation. So 50% of our team were trained by us um, in a job support program with an organization called The Door. One um, percent of every purchase funded that program in partnership with Robinhood. Um, so, in addition to really being about sustainability, it was about really helping our community and and helping job progression. Um, you know, I believe very strongly in the power of restaurants. Independent restaurants are the second largest employer in the country, next to healthcare. Over eleven billion people work in restaurant service and hospitality service in this country. Um, we're not as well-regarded or well-represented as we should be with, you know, the powers that be. And yet you really look at mobility, right? It's the last frontier that I can think of where you don't have to have any certain education. You don't have to have a background. You just have to be open to learning and hardworking. And really there's a tremendous amount of career opportunity um, with again, very low, if not any barrier to entry. And so that was always, again, another core passion tying really to the power of the food system. And then when COVID hit, you know, I called the CEO, uh, Wes Westmore, who's now governor of Maryland, very excited about that. But he was the head of um, Robin Hood during shutdown. And the first day it was announced in New York City, I called him on a cell phone and I said, so what happens to every restaurant worker? A million people in New York State work in restaurants. They can't work from home. All of a sudden, their income has gone to zero overnight with nothing. We gotta get these people cash. Like what are we gonna do? How can you can you imagine that many people and the government and no one, no one was brought to Washington, no one was brought to City Hall. There was no consideration for that many people who need an income, who literally had zero overnight, can't work from home. There's no possibility. Um and he said, you know, you're right, I didn't think about that. Let's get it going. Within a week, we propped up Roar, um, which I'm a proud co-founder of. It was organized to support restaurants in New York. We raised over $3 million in about 9 to 12 months, all for cash grants. Every single dollar went into a restaurant industry professional's hands. Um, And then we doubled down. I was one of the founders of the Independent Restaurant Coalition, and we were the, the organizing body that really got through um, the Restaurant Act. So again, cash grants to help restaurants survive COVID. Um, but it was an opening and really an experience of learning how much our country does not understand the power and the proliferation of
1: independent restaurant workers. Yeah, it's, that's nuts. I can't believe. I don't know. I, I mean, do you have any background in that? Like, I, how do you even know how to like tackle an issue like that? Like, I feel like that's so overwhelming to me. All I can, I just can't imagine like. The-
0: I think I'm someone, again, it goes to my sustainability philosophy. You do what you can and you put one foot in front of the other. My first call, you know, Robin Hood is probably one of the most effective nonprofits, I think, in the country. I think they're incredibly well run. I think they're incredibly insightful and very thoughtful about how they run their organization and their impact tracking. And also their board covers 100% of overhead. And so every dollar raised goes straight to the cause. There's no sort of, you know... overhead piece. And so no, I didn't, but I really just saw the, I saw our entire community that we all care so much, right. We live to take care of others who was taking care of us. And, you know, I had called Tom Colicchio. I had called, um, you know, friends in the industry and sort of said, are you seeing what I'm seeing? Because all of these people are going to have zero income come Friday. And no one seems to be saying one word about it. So, I think more than anything, it was really more about the power of the collective to make real change and really helping other people see, you know, unless you worked in restaurants, I think it's just, you don't see what you don't see. So no, no background, but um fortunate to have, you know, friends who wanted to galvanize. And again, I mean, especially in New York, you know, really, it was Robinhood that that took a big step and took a stance and and realized that it's a huge piece of the community. I said, you know, do you want a million workers now to be, you know, needing support services? That's what your company's organized for, but you're about to get an influx of a million. Like, can the system really hold that?
1: So say that to me, that stat again. So how big is the restaurant industry?
0: Over 11 million nationwide and in independent restaurants. So that, again, the people, and again, we should really follow the money and follow the power and control. A lot of policy is made by, you know, fast food chains and, um, you know, larger conglomerates that aren't exactly analogous to independent restaurants. Um, And by the way, both have a right to protect their communities, but they're very different needs, very different economic systems. Um, and very different ecosystems. So really do need a different level of support and policy. Yeah.
1: And you mentioned earlier in the podcast that maybe that has this work shifted into like rights for workers like on a different level now that COVID's of- behind us.
0: Well, COVID isn't, isn't behind us. So for example, Los Angeles, there was a huge fight against, you know, the city council was trying to shut down outdoor dining. You know, every restaurateur paid for all those setups. No landlords were incentivized, asked or required to help. Shutting that income stream off for restaurants again, following a brutal three years is just beyond my comprehension. So we're not really out of the woods. I'll put that out there. And the cost of business, you know, in restaurants has skyrocketed and through it. And I think, again, I wouldn't say a shift, but I think another focus, for example, for Roar is about mental health. So we're very focused on mental health for restaurant workers, right? You take large companies, say a large tech company, you know, they're not working off razor thin margins. So they have a large bandwidth to be able to provide a lot more support in restaurants. It's a very intense job. It's a very high pressure, physical job. And there does need to be a lot more support for mental health, a lot more access to mental health support, not out of pocket that's high quality.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. I, side note, was a waitress early on in my life. And it's like my favorite job I've ever had. I, I always mean, say, like,
0: most people's first jobs. So the fact that we are not as a country supporting this industry, it is the springboard for most people. There's almost yeah. no one I don't know that didn't have their first job at a restaurant. Yeah. But I mean, really-
1: I was working at the retirement home. I had to get a worker's permit at, like, I don't know, how old would I have been? Like 13 or something? I'd like walk there after school. My parents are like, we're good if you want to, like, you know, we can like cover your allowance if you want to go to like a candy store. And I was like, no, Marcy's got a job. I'm going to work at the And I loved it. And then I went on to waitress like through college and I don't know, it's, it's such a great, such a great job for life experience and learning how to get along with others in a high pressure situation, but also just a great fun job. Where else are you getting a job with no experience? Yeah.
0: industry that you can do that in and also yeah. by the way and go back to anytime you need. If you were yeah. to hit any form of a road bump in your life, there are restaurants around the country in every single community. There will always be a job available. That is incredibly powerful. And unfortunately, it's not valued nearly as highly in this country.
1: Yeah. What are we doing?
0: Yeah. yeah and you look at women's rights and child care and support for families. Again, it's a huge area. There's no such thing as a nine to five job in restaurants every single childcare option operates at 9 to 5 all of the policy all of the organizations centering around this issue none have hospitality represented despite the fact that it's the second largest employer and the number one employer of single mothers
1: what crazy and why are why is there no representation because no one's motivated
0: I think it's because it's a disaggregated industry right it's i always i during covid my my tagline was always you know we aren't really a small business we're a very large collection of small businesses, but collectively we're anything but small yeah, but the problem is there's not a central right it's not like one company owns yeah every independent restaurant across the country, so you know I think it's I think the perspective is that everyone is different. I'll give you a great interesting example. A restaurant trade organization cannot purchase collective insurance. So for example, in this country, if you have a small amount of employees, insurance is very expensive, as you know. There's not a lot of great options, not a lot of high quality options. My thinking was always, okay, well, every restaurant in Manhattan Vis-a-vis an insurance provider is probably the same, right, give or take. How is that any different than Google that has X amount of campuses all being able to be underwritten as one company? That's a huge blockade to getting actual high-quality, lower-cost benefits to our industry. But right now, it's not le- it's not a legal option.
1: Yeah. Wow. So most folks are just flying without insurance. Would you say they're getting it from a spouse? Or what are these single moms doing? I think it's a mix. I think it's yeah. a mix.
0: And look, you know, obviously we're there's a lot of different options that restaurant groups are pursuing, but there should be, you should have an ability if you're part of a restaurant coalition, you should be able to have, right, the best of the best. Why not pull together? And it's interesting that this country blocks it. To me, again, how is that any different than a company that has yeah. 10 offices around the country that get underwritten as one?
1: Yeah, that's crazy. Wow. Well, this was so insightful for me. I feel like I need to do another, I need to do like a deep dive just on of what's going on. I had no clue like how complex this was. I feel so just like ignorant because I've worked in, I don't know, high-end restaurants, retirement homes, like I worked in it all, and you just don't even yeah, it is so pervasive and so just ingrained in the culture and society. And we're not, we're not paying attention to the right details here, clearly. But very interesting. Well, it's super cool what you're doing. Um, my last question for you—I ask everyone this—but what's something most people don't know about you? Oh, um,
0: that's an interesting one. Um, <laughs> I, I shared this recently with a friend who's now trying to tack on a lot of activities for us. Um, I am an extreme sports enthusiast. I went solo mm-hmm. skydiving when I was 18. I've been paragliding. Um, I've been race car driving. I still have yet to go bungee jumping. That's on my list. Um, I really want to get my pilot's license. So I, I have a long history of a, a need for speed. Um, probably why I like, I and why I like restaurants.
1: You're an adrenaline junkie. Definitely. Okay. This is awesome. I was not expecting that, but it it kind of makes sense. That's so great. All right. Let everyone know where they can find you and all the good things we talked about on this podcast.
0: At Camilla.Marcus, at Westbourne, W-E-S-T-B-O-U-R-N-E. And then you can go to our website, westbourne.com. Like I said, subscribe to our newsletter, check out our um, amazing content on our blog. um, And excited. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Thanks so much for coming, Camilla.